Hello, and welcome to the Inforum Autonext podcast presented by EY, where we will discuss the latest industry news and trends in the automotive sector. My name is Terry Barclay, and I'm the president and CEO of Inforum, a nonprofit whose work includes highlighting and supporting diversity in business leadership. And I'm really excited that we're launching this podcast with EY. Our goal is for the podcast is to bring new voices new thoughts, new insights, fresh perspectives to business issues that impact us all. And joining me today as co-host is Randy Miller, EY Global Advanced Manufacturing and Mobility Leader. Welcome, Randy. Thanks, Terry. It is great to be here, excited to be part of this podcast. Really looking forward to the discussion today and the future of mobility continues to transform the industry. One of our most important topics, really excited about this dialogue. I am too. So let's jump right in. All right. Our topic today is mobility innovation in Detroit and Michigan. Joining us for our discussion is Jessica Robinson, co-founder of the Detroit Mobility Lab and executive director of the Michigan Mobility Institute. We are really fortunate to have Jessica as our guest to talk about mobility and innovation. Jessica has impressive resume that includes a broad set of experiences across the mobility ecosystem, including working at Zipcar and Ford Smart Mobility, as well as launching several technology and innovation startups. Welcome, Jessica. Great to have you here. Randy, Terry, good to be here. All right, let's start with something simple. Tell us about the Detroit Mobility Lab and the Michigan Mobility Institute. What are your objectives? Yeah, so it's a mouthful. Two organizations launched at the same time, actually both with the same goal, and that's to think about how talent will really set our industry up for success in the future. And the Michigan Mobility Institute is the nonprofit, which is the first initiative of the lab, and I'm a co-founder of both. And we set up the institute to um, focus on bringing together industry partners alongside education partners with a very simple goal, which is improving the fit of the education um, that students as well as transitioning workers are receiving for future mobility jobs. And we did this because we found that there was actually a disconnect or a gap. Um, Educators were bringing students along, and uh, folks in business were saying, well, thank you, but not quite exactly the right skills at the right time. And then, as we all know, the future is very uncertain. And so we thought more now than ever we needed to create this alliance together. Great. And I know uh, that's a great lead into the next topic, again, about talent. And it's a huge issue, huge challenge. There's a lot of discussion also around the STEM impacts of that and the shortages around that. Are you seeing that globally around mobility? We are. The talent gap that ultimately convinced me that this was something I wanted to work on um, is, is exactly what you suggest. And we looked specifically at um, trends in technology around connectivity and electrification and smart infrastructure and autonomous driving. And again, probably not surprisingly, we found computer science jobs, uh, data science jobs, and increasingly a different form of engineering is really in demand. But again, 
who we're graduating now and who we need in the future, there's a significant gap. And in our research, we actually found that there's a 6x gap between who's going to graduate in the next decade and who we actually need to bring into industry. So that's a pretty significant number. Um, and it starts, of course, with STEM foundation, but it goes through younger students graduating as well as, again, those transitioning workers. We see that as well. And, and are there some keys, you think, uh, to, to drive filling up that shortage? There are. So I mentioned you know, some of those roles already, computer science and um, computer architecture and engineering in particular. Um, data, big data manipulation is really critical. Um, in mobility, we also see cybersecurity becoming a big piece of this. But as importantly, we're actually seeing a demand, yes, for those uh, specialty skills or those functional skills, but the team or the interpersonal skills as well. So things around problem solving and working across teams of you know, different skill sets or diverse backgrounds, um, how to go out and solicit a proposal and, and get money. Even in a large organization, it turns out that's a really important skill, uh, as well as in a, a smaller company as well. Um, and we've, we've talked before that we actually think we're at this interesting point in time where we have a new engineer that's required. And we've called this, this person the mobility engineer, with the idea being, yes, there's still, um, whether you're in an electrical or a computer science domain, Yes, you have to have quality experience there, but increasingly you have to recognize the ecosystem into which your business or service is actually going to be deployed. And that awareness of the ecosystem and the context is actually what differentiates mobility moving forward. Great. And you're having such a big impact, uh, you know, here. But let's talk about success. And let's talk about what success would look like for uh, Detroit in being a, a global center for mobility. Is it about workforce, innovation, a combination? What do we do about that and how does Michigan really uh, also uh, play into that to help move forward? Yeah, I, I love that question because we get to think about that here in Michigan through a Michigan lens. We are the place that put the world on wheels. We're the place that, um, you know, brought aerospace in some cases into the modern era. And I think we have to do that again and differentiate the businesses that are here uh, for, again, the services that, that move the industry forward. Um, but I also think this, I think it comes from being around startups, that success sometimes looks like something else. And I would argue that for us to be successful in Michigan, what we also need to do more of is fail. And what I actually, this, this sounds crazy, but stay with me. What I would love to see is more failures because failures are entrepreneurs and businesses taking a risk. And if we don't see failures, that actually means that there's good ideas that are sitting on the shelf somewhere that people aren't bringing to market. And Terry, I see you nodding uh, in agreement on this one. And, and so I would like to see more of that. And that doesn't mean we should go after bad ideas or waste money, 
But I think in Michigan, we can be a little more aggressive in, in trying new things. Um, and we do have strengths that set us up to, to, to do this work better and faster. I mean, we are a global leader in terms of having mechanical and electrical engineers. If we don't figure out how to leverage that talent to move into the future, we're crazy. Um, but there's some headwinds as well, right? We have a, a historically... Um, industrially uh, center focused on manufacturing that needs to evolve and grow that the processes of course are changing um, but at the Institute we definitely think um, that we're positioned to win if we act um, with vision and decisive um, decisive steps forward I think that uh, culture around innovation like that and the, uh, mm -hmm. the willingness to take risk is a great uh, theme. Let's talk a little bit more also about cities like Detroit and states like Michigan. Uh, any views on what you think uh, that we're not doing now uh, mm. that needs to be done? Yeah. Well, uh, you, you mentioned in, in my background some of the other organizations I've worked with immediately prior to the Institute when I was at Ford. Um, I was lucky enough to... Um, develop a, a number of, I'd say, data points on this, given that the team that I worked with worked across cities and states in different regions. I mean, I would say what we're doing well, first of all, is I do see the state working directly with municipalities um, very effectively, both in terms of um, running pilots and, and bringing new technology to market. Um, I think that uh, part of uh, the failure piece is maybe what we're not doing. Um, I'm not a native Midwesterner. Uh, I come originally from the East Coast, and I worked on the West Coast. And um, what I loved about the community here is people are hardworking and have that design background. Um, but we are sometimes risk averse. And so um, I think that that trickles across all levels from big companies, even to entrepreneurs that have new ideas that, that we don't quite get off the ground. Um, and then I think maybe something else we're not doing is just kind of remembering our strengths and, and running quickly. Um, I'm asked sometimes, oh, does Detroit want to be the next Silicon Valley? And I've been pretty vocal to say, no, we shouldn't be. We should be the next generation of Detroit. And I think sometimes we can get lost in the noise um, of what others are doing rather than saying, here's our strengths, here's our plan, let's run quickly. Thank you for that. At EY, we're taking a global perspective, and we've tried to define our mobility broadly as the, the transition to more sustainable, inclusive, and a connected future that moves both people and goods, kind of that full uh, mile, if you will. Uh, but you've also uh, described, I think, a really interesting framework to think about it in terms of mobility solving local problems. Can you talk a little more about that? I can, and I would start by saying there's a personal bias here. Uh, my undergraduate degree is in anthropology, social sciences, and so I always put people at the start of this. So for me, not necessarily being um, engineering-minded first, I don't necessarily have a uh, solution in search of a problem. I always want to understand the problem first. But for us, it goes deeper. So at the Institute, when we set out to design our curriculum, we knew we had to put some bounds around mobility as well, as you, as you have at EY. And we started with the functional. Yes, it's things moving from A to B. Things are being transported. 
Um, but we, we actually tried to expand the definition as well. So what's moving? So we talk a lot about people, um, but also goods and maybe data and electricity as well. So already starting to broaden the definition. But things really started to get interesting when we looked at how the industry and specific companies were defining mobility, which is what is that benefit to society? And I would argue that that's a fundamental difference between the way we've described transportation in the past and mobility today is there, there has to be something more that's being unlocked, whether it's efficiency or time or I mean, so many companies going to market today do talk about equity. They talk about improvements around sustainability. And then my favorite is, is when people start to talk about freedom. Um, it is not just a uniquely Western point of view. Um, it's something that people look at around mobility around the world. So I do agree. I think it is solving local problems. And I, I love the EY definition in terms of being more expansive as well than you know, just a car. Great, thanks. And, you know, we've, there's a lot of interesting examples around new business models, uh, whether that's, you know, car sharing, ride hailing. And uh, it, it's our, I think, initial point of view a bit uh, that a good blend of product and service uh, is important uh, to the players uh, in the industry. Uh, but wanted to get your views on, on those models. And, and, and do you actually see a future where uh, car sharing for ha perhaps, you know, could eclipse car ownership uh, and if you do uh, you know what kind of horizon uh, would you uh, see uh, for that when right that's the if I only had a crystal ball on this one um, it's a tricky one for me to answer one because I I've spent so much time in the I'll say car sharing 1.0 world at Zipcar. And of course, they've evolved um, over the years as well. But the idea that you use a car for a portion of time and you drive yourself, there's a ton of functionality still in, in being able to do that. I, we had a meeting earlier this week, and I had uh, to pick up catering, and I had all these you know, big supplies that I had to move around. Car sharing was perfect in that situation. Um, but today, you know, I had another meeting, and I took a, a, a ride hail instead. And so I think that I would respond to that by saying I do believe that um, in the U.S. market, our view and our utility around when and where we buy a car will shift. Uh, I think there's lots of communities where owning a car still makes sense for the, the long run, at least the next 20 years. I am not um, someone who believes that autonomous vehicles in particular are going to, you know, arrive with ubiquity in the next um, 5, 10, or even 15 years. So I do, th I do think we are shifting to these um, multiple solutions, including traditional car sharing, including ride sharing, in many places, including public transit and other new services as well. I see it for myself. Of course, I've been on the leading edge of that. Um, I start, I've seen it with my family now. Um, so many business travelers, I think, are getting around in different ways as well. So I think we'll start to see the next iterations the next five to ten years and then I think we will see a big jump um, both as the population continues to age and many people lose the ability to drive themselves as well as that next generation coming into market I think that confluence of the two macro demographic trends is actually what's going to change things very quickly in the U.S.
Great. And let's talk for a minute about uh, micro-mobility. And, and that's got a lot of attention um, as we look at mobility. And uh, we've seen that come up in a number of cities around the world. We've seen some very interesting business launches, huge valuations, uh, the disappearance of those valuations. Um, it's been relatively popular as that last mile um, solution. Uh, and, and on the surface, it seems like there's some you know solid benefits there. There also are, are some challenges in terms of how do you deal with picking up all those uh, scooters, etc., cetera, um, and, and trying to, to balance all of that. Do you have a take on micro-mobility, and uh, is it a niche or more than that? Yeah. Um, I mean, so I guess I'll start by saying, uh, so I, I live here in the city in Detroit, and again, a little bit of personal bias on this one. I get around all different modes every day, and the scooters are a part of how I get around, um, even in winter when it's a little colder. Uh, I think there's no denying that they have filled an important transportation gap, this so-called first mile, last mile problem that urban planners have talked about for years and kind of wrung, wrung hands and said, what do we do about this problem? Scooters have stepped in in a really interesting way to address that. I do think that um, they are still somewhat niche, though. Uh, we have multiple brands now, and I think that we will see consolidation where the, the, the brands that succeed will be part of a portfolio of services. So you're already starting to see some acquisitions and alignments there. I think we will continue to see that. Um, in terms of the, the model of just being able to pick up one wherever one is kind of on the side of the road, I do think cities will continue to step in and um, bring some structure to their operators and require a, a plan, whether it's designated parking or you see companies addressing this now with dedicated charging stations as a kind of a carrot versus a, a stick approach. So I do think scooters will be around for a while, but I think this period that we're in right now of multiple brands uh, kind of uh, piled all over the cities, that's, that's going to be short-lived. Great, thank you. Now, you had mentioned a bit about uh, you know startups mm -hmm. and in uh, that uh, uh, the culture around that. It'd be great to get your view specifically about how you see the startup culture here in Detroit mm -hmm. uh, and in Michigan. Yeah. So this, um, I mean, if you asked me this question three months ago and you ask me three months from now, the answer will be different because we're seeing things happen so quickly now. Um, I have been part of the, the mobility startup scene, I guess, since I moved here. And there's some really exciting things happening with technology accelerators bringing cohorts of um, mobility startups that are not based in Michigan to Michigan because they these startups see the value of... Um, being here, having, you know, whether it's our OEMs or our suppliers, being first customers, uh, there's no, no denying that the decision-making power is here. Um, there's also uh, spaces. Uh, the event I was at earlier today is multiple mobility startups coming together in a shared co-working space. I think we'll continue to see that being a really important piece. Um, VC and investing uh, activity continues to pick up as well. So, I mean, it is it, it is not necessarily the same level 
top line as the economic volume of our, our OEs and our suppliers, but it's an increasingly important part of the story. And we're also starting to see some acquisitions that I think reinforce a really important story here that you can start a company and exit and um, you know, then continue to be part of the ecosystem, maybe start another company. Or again, let's go back to the failure piece. There are you know, multiple startups that I've seen try and fail. Um, some projects I've been involved with over my career just didn't get off the ground the way we had envisioned. And that's part of the mobility startup story here too. But most of those people have stayed and they're doing something else. And I think that's really important when you look at a, a healthy ecosystem. Got it. And I think, you know, one of the challenges uh, within the industry right now is that balance of, I'll say, feeding the legacy and then innovating on the new business models. So I wanted to, to ask you a bit about your view on that and, and, and get your perspective on some of the most innovative projects that you're seeing around some of our legacy automotive companies doing in this space, kind of up and down the the, Up the and down the chain. food chain. Yes. So, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm most familiar with the, the projects that um, took place at Ford while I was a part of it. Um, but I, I won't dwell on those other than to say I've seen multiple um, of the OEMs test uh, service models that leverage their vehicle platform. And I think it's a natural extension for an OEM to look there. We make the vehicle, we, we can monetize in a different way by running a service. So Ford, Ford has done that with a, a shuttle service and non-emergency medical transport service um, and, and some others as well. Um, GM has done it with Maven, um, bringing a car sharing platform focused on neighborhoods to, to market. I think that that is um, a step, but maybe not what I would call fully innovative. I think the, the leap is that next phase where you say, yes, we've been a supplier, um, but we are going to forsake our past or recognize that the past is going to forsake us anyway because we make a part that's not going to be relevant in a vehicle in the future. We're going to go full force into the future. And so we're seeing a couple companies through their credit um, divisions actually launch some very interesting software um, in some cases, not connected to their vehicle platform that they make. And as anyone that's been around um, the OEs here in Michigan knows, that's a pretty big leap of faith to get to there. But I think where we're all trying to get is you know, something that's sustainable and something that is higher order in the, the value chain, if you will, with more recurring revenue and a higher margin. But again, the top line's the challenge because for the long term to come, that's not going to meet the standards of the best-selling um, vehicle for any of our automakers. But again, I think that's what's truly innovative. Well, thank you for that, Jessica. Great perspectives. It's a pleasure speaking with you, and we look forward to seeing you and your team bring Michigan Mobility Institute vision uh, to life. And now we've got a change of pace, so we're going to move to a segment we're calling the Leadership Lightning Round. So back to Terry. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Randy. We just want to get to know you a little bit more, sure. uh, Jessica. So we've got really, we want to conclude with three quick questions. Um, <clears throat> Where do you go for inspiration? What blogs or podcasts uh, do you engage with to keep you fresh and current and generate new ideas? 
blogs and podcasts. Yes. So I guess I'll confess I'm a little old fashioned. I'm actually not as avid a podcast uh, listener as, <laughs> as maybe people joining us are. It is an important channel, though. So I really I do love how I built this. Uh, there's lots of really interesting stories that are not necessarily mobility at all, but entrepreneur and founder stories kind of solving problems, very inspirational. And then I'd say more connected to the industry. I'm really a fan right now of Axios and their their structure for reporting news. It's very succinct and can be digested, again, very quickly. But they have a number of newsletters focused on city technology, Randy, which you brought up, or autonomous vehicle technology, which I'm still continuing to, to brush up on. Um, I love reading books about new business models that have come to market. I think we've moved into and maybe through this two-sided marketplace thing. And so I'm very curious to know where we go from here. Um, and then the other place I take inspiration is actually I had a mentor recommend to me um, the books by Susan Packard. She's actually one of the, the women that founded HGTV. And she was recommended to me because you know, my mentor saw you're in a space trying to do something completely different that's been done before and create value potentially in a different way. So she pointed me in that direction. So I take inspiration from from there as well. But I also just like the old-fashioned newspaper and things like that. I still, <laughs> I still read the news in that form. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Second question. Um, you unexpectedly find 15 minutes in your day. Oh, what do you do you. with it? What do I do with 15 minutes in my day? <laughs> Honestly, it's probably not work. <laughs> um, I uh, just when I started the institute in in January, my life changed pretty significantly in terms of the amount of professional travel that I did. So previously, I was at the airport on a plane at least once, if not twice a week. I'm much more grounded in Michigan now, so I've been able to build my network here. Um, I say that um, to to share that. Um, what I'm probably doing in that 15 minutes is calling somebody that I haven't seen recently, whether it's through my professional network and just to catch up, or I may even call one of my family members because um, even though I'm not on a plane every day, I'm still running around between meetings and things, and that may be the only 15 minutes for the next couple of days that I actually get a chance to pick up the phone. So you'll probably find me on the phone. <laughs> so third question. Mm -hmm. This is the uh, Inform Automotive of next podcast. So we have to ask you, what's your next project? Oh, my goodness. You guys are looking for scoops and news here. Um, I mean, for us, we're really focused on standing up the Institute and making sure it's successful. And so for us, what it looks like is continuing to to move the project forward with Wayne State and um, start to enroll students there. Um, some of the courses are coming online this winter. There'll be even more changes coming online for the fall 2020 semester, which again is very fast. So that's that's next in the near term. Um, but my co-founder and I, we continue to look more broadly at 
the mobility ecosystem, but the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Michigan. And, you know, we're really interested in what are the kind of institutional stakeholders that, that need to be involved and engaged, continue to build and develop startups, bring more to the ecosystem. What's the role of capital? So um, I'm, I'm here. I'm invested in mobility for the long run. So you'll continue to see me um, be involved in projects that, you know, build that ecosystem here. Jessica, thank you so much for being our guest today. What a fascinating interview. And Randy, thank you so much for co-hosting with me today. I hope that everyone will uh, join us for the next episode of the Inform Auto Next podcast presented by EY. For the latest industry news and trends in the automotive sector, by following us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you.